You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 545, the Citizen Kane of rock movies, America borrows the Eurovision Song Contest formula, and football versus music. It's the fight of the century. That's all coming up after Echo and the Bunnymen, and nothing lasts forever. I want it now. I want it now. Not the promises of what tomorrow brings I need to live in dreams today I'm tired of the song that sorrow sings And I want more than I can get Just trying to, trying to, trying to And never let you know the way I feel Under skin is where I hide Love that always gets me on my knees Then I want more than I can get Just trying to, trying Nothing ever lasts forever Nothing ever lasts forever Liam Gallagher on backing vocals. Uh, this was from their 1997 comeback album, Evergreen, as a single. It was their most successful, actually, um, of all time. Number eight on the UK Top 40, Echo and the Bunnymen, and nothing lasts forever. I mean, firstly, isn't that a sentiment we could all get on board with after yeah. the last couple of years? And secondly, this is one of my favourite comeback singles of mm. all time, I think. I love a good comeback single. And for me, this is right up there with Maria by Blondie and Tell Me When Will I See You Again by Human League. I I love this. I think it's so... Um, I think it's... Uh, this makes me sound 102 saying this, but I think it's very dignified for a comeback. Mm. And I think it's I think it's got such a, a strong sort of wistfulness to it. And, and weirdly, it fitted well with 
the times because it sounds a bit like the verb in places i think come back for that sort of era not that not that i think the verb would have done much without echo and the bunnyman but um but yeah it, it's an interesting song it was like the beatles releasing free as a bird in the middle mm. of rip hop it seemed to seem to fit the times really but i love that that's a fantastic choice Welcome to Parish Council episode 545. Mm. I, I'm Terence Dackham and we've had Storm Eunice. Let's have Storm Juliet. It's <laughs> Juliet Harris. The Harris hurricane is in mm. the house and it is taking the roof off your house. No, I'm not a very hurricane person. I've, I've had quite enough power cuts for one lifetime. Mm. Thank you. Hi, everyone. The mid-1970s in britain a peculiar time mm. even though there'd been some uh, enlightenment in the 1960s this was still a period of grayness um most major towns still had bomb sites lingering mm-hmm. from the second world war industrial action by miners and railway workers actually led to a three-day week where businesses would only were only allowed to turn on electricity for three days each week seems extraordinary uh, in our in our lifetime for young people music of course as ever it was an escape route a distraction against the this sort of bleakness and on this backdrop the pop group Slade who had a couple of years worth of a run of hits decided to change their focus and make a movie deliberately going against the cheery hard day's night formula Mm. and they came up with a script that depicted the harsh reality of the music business and so this week we've been watching Slade in Flame Jules, I wonder if you agree with Mark Kermode, who describes this film as the Citizen Kane of rock music movies. I mean, what what a description to start off with. That mm. is why Mark Kermode is Mark Kermode and I'm not, frankly. But um, I was very surprised at how much I enjoyed this, as is often the case when we when we agree to watch things. I went in with a bit of... A bit of trepidation because I quite like Slade in a sort of a knockabout sort of way, but I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily term them as one of the great groups. They're a fantastic singles band, but I'm not sure I would go much further than that. I was really quite taken with this film. I thought that they. I mean, they sort of played versions of themselves, which always helps if you're acting. I think if you if you base it on yourself. But I I thought they I thought they were good. I thought the story was surprisingly sharp. Actually, I I almost don't want to spoil it for anybody that wants mm. to watch the film. And it is a great film, but um, but yeah, the it was it was not exactly as you put it so well. The lovable mop tops of a hard day's no, night. There is not. there is a more of an edge to it, and. It captures well what you say about the 70s and I can't remember who it was now so my apologies but someone said on Twitter once and I thought it was a really shrewd and telling point that they they said oh, all these nostalgic programs about oh do you remember the 70s blah 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 they said when I think look back to the 70s all I remember is constant violence on every single level from the sort of the the the, the bloody Sunday and, and all that sort of stuff right down to just he said I just remember as a school kid just getting hit all the time just <laughs> all the time either at school at home getting a clip around the ear and he said just everything seems to be infused with a slight violence and I think this film captured that really well like you say the strange time of the 70s uh, I mean we, there wasn't anything about the three-day week but you know you saw where the band sort of came from the Midlands area that Slade are from and it, it was a different world and it goes to I think it goes to show that the, the the sort of the swinging 60s London swung in the 1960s yes. I'm not that convinced anymore yes. swung very much and it's funny when we're now looking at the political situation that we live in and Brexit and the idea that you know London and metropolitan areas wanted to stay in the EU and, and everybody else used it as a kind of a, a proxy vote by which to protest that they'd been left behind all that sort of stuff that this story isn't we're all treating this like it's a new story it's not a new story this is just the you know the swinging 60s and you know as someone once said that the swinging 60s was four people having a party and everybody else running around trying to find them and you get the impression that the the 70s certainly is is captured well in this film there is this current edge and undercurrent this constant undercurrent to this whole to the whole story in the film that you're sort of waiting for it to all go wrong and you know, I, I thought the acting in it was good. I thought, you know, Noddy Holder obviously is a star, isn't he? But I, I quite enjoyed Alan Lake's performance as the sort of the singer that was ditched early on and then and then used used for other purposes. So he had something of Harry Corbett about him, which I found a bit strange mm, at first. But yeah, I, um, I, 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 you know, I, I, 
I didn't find my attention wandering during this film, and that for me nowadays is probably the biggest victory of all. So, so I thought it was a, like you say, a fascinating window back to a, di- a very different period in time in some ways, but perhaps in terms of a constant atmosphere of tension, not not so far away from our current world. Obviously, I wasn't around during the seventies, but yeah. I was very struck by how you know, how similar that edge of tension is then and how it is now. We say, oh, yes, it was a different time, the 70s. Was it? I'm not I'm not so sure at the moment. Yeah, exactly. Um, Noddy Holder brought his, um, you mentioned Noddy Holder, his, his foghorn voice. What amused me was he brought it to his dialogue as well. Yes, so that, yes. Uh, of he did course. settle down a bit later on in the film. <laughs> yeah. he first came on, I was like, "Oh no, I can't sit through an hour and twenty minutes of this." But actually, he did. He did settle a bit. There were there was some dialogue that wasn't shouted. I did find his vocal style quite wearing in terms of songs. <laughs> I can see why they were such um, considered a singles band. Yeah. Because by the end of the movie, I'd had enough of Noddy's voice. <laughs> um, I was a teenager working in the music business at the time, and mm. I would say that it was a fair reflection. All these lots of sinister blokes yes. um, um, around. One, one. Uh, well, I picked up a, f- a few sort of sociological points. Um, mm. One is that there was no middle class. Everybody lived in either a mansion in luxury yes. or a boarded up two up two down terraced house. And also, um, by the way, notice how. If you watch this movie, notice how every woman, every woman has a secondary role in every way, yes. generally making tea. How how can we put this? This film would not pass the Bechdel test, would it, really? No, no. Apart from the joy of seeing Harold Cross from Brookside in a small part yes. as a club owner, um, I think Slade in Flame is, it is as much a documentary of mm. social conditions in the 1970s as we've both been saying. And... Uh, you know, as much as it is a rock music movie, and there's there's reminders of terrible nightclubs and pubs mm-hmm. which were engulfed in cigarette smoke. Yes, um, I mean, that uh, that's different to where we are now, isn't very it? Much. It's, it's in, very much. And in the clubs, all the girls are, are, are really dressed up for a night out. All oh, the they're boys, all up, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, the boys are all wearing suits and ties, even in a pub, it is, isn't it? You know, it's, just a local pub. Cars were always breaking down, yeah. and there were no motorway service stations. There were just cafes oh. with a petrol pump or two outside. Weird, but, isn't um, it? You know, what you were saying about the acting. Yes. As the, the four members of Slade. I thought the acting was a bit hit and miss. In fact, I decided, I want to see if you agree with this, I decided to mark each of them Ooh, out okay. of ten for their acting ability. So see if you agree with me, Jules. Right. I gave Don eight, Noddy six, Taciturn Dave four, and Mumbly Jim three. Um, I'm, I might. Am I, I being unfair? I, I might mark the lower two up to a five, maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure if you're being that unfair, to be honest. But then, having said that, Dave was sort of that was Dave's role, I think, to be a bit to be a bit taciturn. I mean, mm-hmm. it was it was. I, I agree with you that the front two were were the best. I think um, it was it was. But then having said that, that sort of made it feel a bit more like a documentary to me in that, you know, what band can ever act well? It was it was it did well, I think, because it's sort of like you say, it had this documentary element to it that because it was a, it felt like a documentary, mm. you could sort of buy into the fact that some of the acting wasn't wasn't that great because it sort of didn't. I I, I sort of bought into the story if you see what I mean. Yeah, sure. so, so it didn't it didn't matter so much to me. I don't think you're being terribly unfair, but I was able to I was able to see past it just because actually I can see your point about Noddy Holder's voice becoming wearing by the end of the. I mean, I do totally get that. Having said that though, I had a look at the um, at the Wikipedia page for this because i was interested in the background to it um it was um i thought this was quite good in that it's it there was i'm trying to find this quote that the um that the music is the music was actually better than a lot of those films. I thought that the standard of the original music, because I think a lot of this was some great music. tracks in it. Yes, I thought it was. I thought the music far far away. Did it? It was. It was, yeah. it was much better than the. Um, than the than the sort of the rest of the the rest of the of these sort of films where the music is kind of trumped up. I thought yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I thought it was really good. And a lot of the the sort of the reviews here, I love the fact that Wikipedia, the person who's written the Wikipedia page, is obviously tried really hard to find coverage because there is a quote of a review from Fife Today, which is you know not necessarily the one <laughs> no. with public publication, but it says the members of a quote of Slade equip themselves surprisingly well as actors. This picks Noddy Holder as the best. Um, it says. 
says it stands this excellent film stands up well as both a document of the music industry's less appealing side and as a snapshot of late 60s working class Britain and of course the music is superb and I think that it's um it's very it's very good I I I, I think as far as that's concerned it's quite a good it's quite a good sort of like you say it's it's if you treat it as much like a social documentary as you mm, do a much, music yeah. film but actually for those sort of films the music is actually a pretty good standard i mean it's not a hard day's night but then regular listeners know that a hard day's night is probably new and i's favorite films of any type oh, of all time yeah. but um but no i thought this was a surprisingly credible stab given that also i perhaps it it worked well because Slade were never the most credible of bands fairly or unfairly they were they were seen as a bit of a party band so maybe they were a good sort of band to carry that film Mm -hmm. I don't know but you know like you say this is fascinating if you treat it as a sort of a trip back to the past Mm -hmm. and to make the points I made earlier a side trip back to the past I'm beginning to wonder if we might be there again frankly and that was (laughs) as interesting as anything for me I think Interesting that so little faith was placed in Slade by the movie distributors that Tom <laughs> Conti and Alan Lake get top billing on the posters, yes, uh, movie do. posters, with the Slade blokes' names just at the bottom. I like, know, it's you know, afterward. I mean, to be fair, Tom Conti, uh, one of those actors who I'm not convinced, I, I say Slade play themselves, I'm not convinced <laughs> Conti is playing anything other than himself, really, but so he, he's very good as their sort of smooth yes. sort of new manager that, that, that sort of glide. He always glides Tom Conti, doesn't he? And he kind he glides, of yeah. smoothly glides in um yeah and he's but but yes it's hilarious given that that alan lake is in it for about 15 to 20 minutes at the beginning and then pops up for another 10 minutes at the end um yeah it's it seems very it's yes. very strange that they're that they're given top billing but no it's, it's a fun film i thought and interesting as well I agree. It's a fascinating movie, well worth seeking out. It's available on DVD, but at the time of recording in February 2022, it can be found on YouTube for free, Slade in Flame. Coming up next, 66 years after Europe, we have the American Song Contest. That's right after GOAT.
just dropped your toast whilst listening to that. I know it's a little bit scronky in places, but I quite like the fact that it's that it is it has a very strong sort of melody to it and a very strong energy I think it keeps going all the way through but does does stop off for the occasional bit of scronking which which some people in my acquaintance do not enjoy I've learned but um I I really like Goat I think they're a really interesting band um it's from an album called World Music um it's worth googling Goat and seeing some pictures of them very very sort of in, entertainingly dressed described by this, um Wikipedia as a Swedish alternative and experimental fusion music group wait come back but no i'm a big i'm a big fan of them and i love that song i find it very compelling it's one of those records that i have to listen to about four times in a row for some reason that was let it be bleed by goat i think i'd heard of goat but not heard any of their music so but i really enjoyed that and i'm, I'm going to listen to more of them during the week oh, uh, i think so. really good i wonder if one day that you say that you care in the room it's like you know <laughs> he's got sandy sean brotherhood of man on the line that's brilliant <laughs> the joys and wonder of indeed the eurovision song contest bringing nations together in a sugary showbiz fashion since 1956 except not bringing together all those countries who hate each other and never give each other any <laughs> votes and everyone hates the uk since we invaded iraq um so but for uk viewers this is something of a release we know we're not going to get anywhere near winning indeed quite often it feels like a an achievement if we score any points at all so we can all sit back relax and poke fun at all the other countries entries so well hello america and welcome to our world um because this year for the first time modeled after the eurovision song contest step forward the american song contest um confusingly a bit uh, featuring 56 artists one from all the 50 states plus one from washington dc and then five u.s territories uh, chime in all competing for quote best new hit song hosted by the unlikely combination of kelly clarkson and snoop dogg <laughs> this is samantha fox and mick fleetwood all over again surely this surely is it starts next month in march and finishes with a grand final on may the 9th jules the organizers say and i quote music could help america heal in troubled times end of quote can snoop Kelly and the American Song Contest heal America. I mean, what? Firstly, why is this happening? As my friend would put it, <laughs> who asked for this? You know, where would, they must have focus grouped this. I mean, for me, part of the uh, the appeal that used to Eurovision used to have and is starting to fade a bit now was that was exactly I, I correctly mentioned Mick Fleetwood and Samantha Fox. It was always a little bit amateurish. You were never quite sure what was going to happen, and that was what made it entertaining. And actually, although I still love Eurovision and I still watch it religiously every year and so the semi-finals as well, there is a slickness to it now which is a bit of a shame really and I wonder if this is going to work in America because American television particularly is a very slick and smooth world and America perhaps is it's one of those countries I think that always thinks it's more progressive than it actually is and I think that, that Trump getting in in the five years of Trump very much proved my point I think and I wonder if Eurovision will or, or you know the America vision will work simply because I there won't be any room for sort of wacky outlandish things. We saw the hoo-ha at the Super Bowl with Janet Jackson that we talked about indirectly a couple of weeks mm. ago. Um, I, I, the, the whole point of a Eurovision-style song contest is it's, it's meant to you're meant to expect the unexpected. They're meant to be slightly chaotic, slightly dreadful acts that with terrible novelty songs, and that's what's so good about it. Is there room for that in slick America TV world land, or is it just going to be? You like this one, Terence? The bland leading the bland. Oh, yeah, thank you. As far as the as far as it's concerned, I'm a little bit worried that it's. I mean, there is. America is, as someone once sang, a big country and there is huge variation between the states. So maybe there might be scope for, for example, I imagine that an act coming from New York might be very different to an act coming from Texas. So maybe there is some room for, you know, for, for, for a variety of sort of opinion from different states. It goes on for a very long time, doesn't it? If it's going on over sort of um, several weeks, do we need do we need eight weeks of this? I'm not convinced we do need eight weeks of this. Um, it seems I mean Eurovision's been quite progressive in the past. There've been um, 
Dana International, Dana International winning the, the transgender singer from Israel in 1998. Um, That'll go down well in Texas. Well, exactly. So I'm wondering whether America is able to... Um, whether whether and also Eurovision has had political statements in it before the Ukraine one in 2016 with a song about Joseph Stalin's deportation of the Crimean Tatars and a sort of a, a comment on what was going on in Russia and Ukraine at the time you know there's nothing new under the sun here we are again but um but I I wonder if there's any room for anything that's interesting in in America Vision or whether it's all going to be buffed out by broadcasters that are terrified of what their sponsors are going to think. Um, and whether it would just to become very bland it, it could have the potential to be really interesting and fun if you've got all these different states and different acts coming from different states but I wonder if that some of the some of the weird amateurists and some of the edge that that happens at Eurovision whether America is the place where that's going to flourish and I'm not convinced it is and also eight weeks Terence for goodness <laughs> sake NBC aren't holding back their hopes on this um from the promotional material um marrying the fanfare and excitement of March Madness and the NFL playoffs with the artistry and beauty of world class performances um I'm thinking and uh, no offence meant to Snoop Dogg, but I guess his hosting it probably means it won't be live or be on de- on a delay or taped as live, you know, just in case. Mm. But it'll be interesting to see if voting follows the European model where mm-hmm. Norway and Sweden, yeah. or, you know, usually offer each other yeah. sizable votes. I wonder if North Dakota and South, <laughs> South Dakota, Dakota will look out for each other. <laughs> but on the other hand, like New York and California will be like looking daggers at each other and you know give each other zero points. Um, I actually think this could be a big success in America. It's it's internal, so they can't lose to another country. So it's a it's a bit like their World Series in sports yes, that only yes. America competes in. Uh, big bonus there, and, and no doubt there'll be tearful backstories and how I'm competing and singing in memory of my grandmother who always taught me I can achieve anything if I try, and you know all of that marshmallowy mm, goo. Yes, true. Yeah, so uh, good luck, America, with the American (laughs) Song Contest. Kicks (laughs) off Monday, March the 21st on NBC. And I have to say, one good thing about Snoop Dogg hosting it is that he does the Just Eat adverts over here in the UK. So maybe he could host it, pop onto the motorbike that he sings from in the Just Eat adverts and advertise you to have something for your dinner at half time and then pop on and carry on hosting. What (laughs) is the Swiss army knife of modern entertainment is Snoop Dogg. Coming right up, the ever-rising cost of concert tickets and the battle with football to remove as much money from you as possible. That's next after Laura Veers.
I play this album a lot. Indeed, I've done so since not long after its release in in, in 2018. She has more success over here in the UK than yes, back home I'm in the States. Sure. But that was a track from from the 2018 album, The Lookout, Laura Veers and Seven Falls. I'm delighted to hear Laura Veers again. I'm a huge fan of hers. Um, I first came across her um the afterword, um, not the afterword, the Word magazine did mm. um they do free they used to do brilliant free CDs every month, and I discovered so much music through through the magazine and through the through the cover mount CDs. And I first discovered Laura Veers through Pink Light from Salt Breakers, which they mm. featured on one of their their CDs. And that would have been sort of late 2000s. And I've been a huge fan ever since. This album, The Lookout, I read an interview uh, with her in, in an American magazine this week when she was promoting it. And she she related that somewhat amazingly, she wrote 117 songs for the wow. album and then scaling it down to the final 12, which That's is amazing. There's, there's a hell of a box set in that, isn't there? There is, isn't <laughs> there? Imagine. Yeah, the box set would would have to be several crates, I think. For, for <laughs> I was going to say, you have to have a box big enough to put George Harrison's gnome and piece it'd, of lawn. It would be a shipping also. container, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and by the way, talking of the George Harrison box set, do you remember <laughs> yes. we, we, we got in touch with each other during the week because we spotted that... Um, what, previously $1,000 George Harrison box set with all the gnomes in and all the yes, bits the, and pieces. The all and things a, must a pass box set that we've All things about. box set, that's it. Yeah. All things must pass with a little bit of oak from his estate oh, and yes. everything. And wasn't there some grass in it? There was some turf, I think. Previously $1,000, and I think it was, Jules, if I remember correctly, $79.95. I mean, I have to say, I was reasonably tempted by it, if only because I want one of their gnomes. I just like <laughs> the idea of having a gnome that George Harrison, no, George Harrison inspired gnome in my house. But yes, just goes to show, we were sceptical about what audience yes. find at the time. And turns out, like a stopped clock, we are, we are right twice a day and we're right there, I think. <laughs> Thinking back to the 1970s, as we were in relation to that slave movie, well, uh, boy, have, have times have changed in terms of going to football matches and attending music gigs. Back in the 70s, you could just turn up at a top division football ground, pay your 50 pence, mm. shove your way through a turnstile you were in. Now you pay 75 to 90 pounds for a standard seat in the Premier League and you have to become a member and apply for tickets in advance. And we'll come to hospitality later. later. Equally, I remember turning up to see David Bowie at Hammersmith Odeon in 1973 on the Ziggy Stardust tour. And we just arrived on the day. It was a couple of days after my 18th birthday. My girlfriend wow. said, oh, you know, let's I'll buy tickets for your birthday for David Bowie. Turned up on the day, bought tickets for two pounds each. Okay. They were the highest price tickets. It was one pound fifty for the balcony. Nowadays, of course, concert tickets are a price just a little higher. Indeed, um, live music events, the cost of going has rocketed in the last couple of years. You now pay hundreds for festivals and easily towards a couple of hundred pounds for reasonably standard access to ordinary one-night gigs um, in mm. London. This year, £184 for Harry Styles. This is in the UK, of course. £170 for Elton. These are standard tickets. Yes. 90 quid to 580 quid for Adele in Hyde Park. But, um, Jules, never mind us London sophisticates. How about Sussex football versus concert going? <laughs> well, I have experiences from, I go and see a lot of gigs at the Delaware Pavilion in Bexhill. I have to say it is a very sedate place to go. I think I think that there is a comparison between gig going and football going here. And I suppose it depends what your expectations are on who you want to see. Now, I agree with you that, that you could pay, you know, th you know, sort of hundreds of pounds to go and see the big acts. And it is very strange to think that, you know, nowadays it's a sort of a huge contingency planning. And and, you know, and the fact that, you know, you have to book months in advance for the top acts. And in the olden days, of course, the top acts like Bowie, you could just rock up on the day. And Turned up on the day. Yes. Football's not dissimilar in that, say, I did want to go and see Brighton. It would it would 
put it this way, without wishing to offend the good people of Burnley, it was very it would be very much easier for me to buy a ticket on the day to see Burnley than it would be for me to buy a ticket on the day to see Brighton play Liverpool, Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea, you know, one of the one of the top teams. Mm. I'd also say Tottenham as well, because we get shouted out when we don't mention Tottenham by our friend Joe. So uh, <laughs> so yes, Tottenham too and all of the other top, top teams. Um so it's it's interesting, I think, in in the the same part of me thinks, well, you know, maybe that's to be expected that it's harder to get access to the top tier of things. And then half of me thinks, well, why should it be like that? Why does it need to be so, so expensive to see people like Adele and Harry Styles that lots of people would would like to say I completely understand that. And the same applies to, to sports events and musical events in that the cost margins of all have been severely dented by COVID and all of the extra precautions that are needed we here in britain it seems likely that all of the remaining restrictions will be taken away next week that seems to be the chatter which then makes me think well are ticket prices going to go back down then mm. Mm, probably not i reckon so so i so like like much like music i tend to find i have the best time when i go to stuff that's at a slightly lower level so by which i mean you know it's it's fair there are some bands that it's fairly easy to go and get a ticket for at the delaware are some bands that sell out within 30 seconds golf rap sold out within about four hours was then moved more tickets were released and they sold out within four hours whereas i'm probably going to go and see Warpaint later this year who i've seen before are excellent and there are tickets still very easily available for that so it's interesting same applies to football there are probably less spare tickets for brighton versus manchester united than there are for brighton versus i don't know Watford or, or, or so, you know, perhaps one of the teams that are seen as, as less glamorous. I very much enjoyed going to watch lower league football for a number of years. I, I used to go and see Hastings play a lot when I was younger. I am still technically the owner of a football club, I think, of Lewis uh, CFC. Um, I own a £30 share in Lewis. So for ages, I was boasting that I own the same football club as Nigella Lawson because she and her then husband were shareholders as well, I think. Um, I, I so So I think... If you're willing to keep your expectations realistic, you can, you know, there are lots of, I say lots of less venues, sadly, post-pandemic, but there are venues that you can go and see. There's a local venue to me called The Piper, where you can see some great bands there for sort of eight or ten quid on a Saturday night and get a, get a ticket, you know, fairly late in the day. There's some great football that I've seen at Lewis. And, and again, the tickets are not, you know, are nowhere near you would pay for Brighton. You go and have a lovely time at the Dripping Pan Ground. You can even hire a beach hut if you want, Terence, to watch the game. It's <laughs> sort of popular. They've got a scheme going where there are people, volunteers, that commentate for blind and partially sighted fans. Fans. you know there is a there's an excellent club shop um there are all sorts there's all sorts you know, they sell harvey's beer you've got a view of the downs around you what's not to like so maybe it's not right that people that that people are sort of priced out and perhaps classed out of top events having said that it is possible to watch excellent stuff if you're a bit more if you're a bit more i don't know i don't want to say realistic in your expectations because everyone should have the chance to see the top things but you know that there, there is entertainment out there. There's just a debate over whether or not it is right that in the past, you know, people, well, you know, people of Slade's class that we were talking about earlier on, could you know rock up through the turnstiles and watch top teams play and go and watch a band on a Saturday, top band on a Saturday night tickets on the day, and that's not really available now. So it's all very well for me to say, oh, we'll just keep your expectations realistic. You know, should they have to be realistic? I guess is the question. Your description of going to see Lewis Football Club sounds really sort of idyllic. It's a bucolic. Pastoral. If you go and see the women as well, I went to see the women play once. Mm. They were great. Lewis women are brilliant. And Lewis, by the way, is the only club, as far as I'm aware, I don't know if it's the only, but it was the first club in Britain to pay their men and women's teams equally, which I think Mm. is is much lauded. I watched the women play once on a Sunday sort of lunchtime. And the person next to me sat and knitted. And the person on the other side of me offered me a tin with hot chocolate brownies that they'd made that morning, which was passed around our section of the crowd so i would recommend that as a bucolic yeah. experience well let's contrast this with my own dear chelsea um on, yes say you want to go to the champions league game against the french side lille on mm. tuesday um let's look at w- w- mid-price hospitality um platinum vip it's called very good seats plus three course dining tea and coffee glass of champagne on arrival complimentary bar so Let's be really generous and stretch the value of the meal and the free drinks to £150 per person. I mean, I think that's being very generous for what 
you actually get um, out of the out of the total cost. The cost for this VIP experience is eight hundred and forty pounds. So you're paying about seven hundred pounds for the seat because the meal can't be more than one hundred and fifty with the but drinks. You would think so, exactly. I'm not criticising, but. Um, well, I mean, I leave it to to all of us to decide if it, if it's good value. But incidentally, um, hospitality VIP tickets for the Carabao Cup final uh, later this uh, month, well, week, week's time, in fact, uh, including my Chelsea. Um, so yeah, hospitality VIP tickets, one thousand four hundred and thirty-two pounds, no food or drink included, but you get access to a lounge and a free program. But um, we talk about concert tickets uh, going up uh, mm. as we just were. So again, onto the inevitable VIP meet and greet ticket prices, yes. which we, sh- we we should remember these are set by the artists or the representatives. It's not the venue. Yes, yes true. At the moment, most artists are swerving the meet and greet aspect yes. for obvious reasons. So essentially, you're paying for a premium seat and some merchandise. And I've done a bit of background into this. Sure. Foo Fighters in the UK this coming yeah. summer. Um, VIP experience, £187, top seat, and you get a wristband and an A4 lithograph. I'm not quite sure what mm, that, that can be, but £187. Yeah. Mm, OK, but let's let's move on. Bon Jovi, uh, USA, um, Omaha, oh, no. April yes. the 1st. OK, yeah. VIP tickets, you get, this is just amazing, you get brunch and a chair, and not only a chair, a wow. signed chair thrown oh, in i'm assuming it must be a fold-up one I, yes. I can't imagine you'd be walking out with like a huge kitchen no, chair or an armchair this is right there with george harrison's nose a signed <laughs> a signed picnic chair by bon jovi vip tickets brunch and this is signed chair one thousand two hundred and ninety seven dollars insane oh god it's a little bit worse. Elton John, Madison Square Gardens this year, front row, admittedly, VIP. But all you do is you've got the seat and some merchandise. I won't bother you with what it is, but it's nothing significant. Um, $1,499. So $1,500 essentially for a seat and a, and a, and a sort of T-shirt and a programme for Elton John at Madison Square Gardens. The thing is, though, you know, we, we can pile onto this because these sell out quickly. So there's a market for it. And if you if that's not enough for you, I checked out the secondary market because um, mm-hmm. on the Bon Jovi tour and the Elton John gigs, more or less all those hospitality um, sold, out, that yeah. sold out. So on the secondary market, that Bon Jovi business with the signed chair and the brunch, four thousand dollars. Elton. $8,500 for one ticket in Madison Square Gardens on the secondary market. So it's a de- it's demand-led, isn't it? It is. It's it's nuts. So having said that, this is VIP access. And it's that, VIP. This is hospitality. This, yeah. this is a different thing. And so so I just had a quick look on the Brighton & Hove Albion website to see how much it would cost me to buy lounge access. So to buy, to hmm. buy you know, to get tickets, tickets to watch Brighton & Hove Albion play Aston Villa at home on Saturday the 26th of February. It would just cost me £75 Good for lounge grief. access. Which is, it's not... It's that, that is a real contract. That is that yeah, is good. 40, I mean, that's a standard 40, ticket price for London clubs. Forty-two quid to watch the game in a standard seat. Seventy-five quid if you want access to the lounge, um, which I think is really that's not really bad. Good. I mean, and I don't. I mean, I don't know. The Liverpool match is sold out by the look of it afterwards, so I'm not quite sure yeah. how much how much it would cost for that. But perhaps it goes to show that even if you just even if you just dial it down a little bit. Um, I mean, VIP access, I'm not sure that it's a like-for-like like comparison to, to, to usual gig going, and I'm not sure how many people would want to pay that or want VIP access. But, you know, Brighton are still playing in the Premier League, and they're doing pretty well in the Premier League at the moment, all things told. So you can still see a Premier League match if you go to Brighton and Hove um, for, you know, even if you want VIP uh, VIP access. Uh, I mean, I, I've been to the lounge before at Brighton and Hove. I, I went... I, uh, corporate entertaining thing i was taking on once i can't promise you 
high class dining in the Brighton lounge area. Bless them. I was delivered chips and chicken in a bar and literally in a basket at one point when I was there. Having said that, I was very grateful for it. But mm-hmm. um, but you know, it is it's possible to go and see a Premier League match um on on sort of allowing yourself access to the VIP lounge for less than a hundred pounds. So I guess you just you just have to I guess you have to pick and choose a bit. And again, it raises the question: Should one have to? But um, but yeah, it is it is possible to to live the high life. You can live champagne ideals on a chicken in a basket money. It turns out. Thanks very much for joining us this week. Good to have you along. Yes, thank you as always for letting us do this. A five hundred and forty something. I can't believe it. It's crazy. Thanks, sir. Thanks for putting up with this as always. Five hundred and forty-five. Um, <laughs> is is there um. Is there a VIP hospitality experience with your radio show? <laughs> yes, there's a top deck on the smooth sailing yacht that you can go and sun yourself on, should you wish. No, it's, it's as ever, smooth sailing is a democratic enterprise. Everybody, everybody gets a lifeboat if it goes wrong. It's it's very much a very much a, a, the way to sail. So I do this daft show called Smooth Sailing on a Sunday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. Um, it's on my Mixer channel, which is mixlr.com forward slash Juliet hyphen Harris, or just go to Mixer com and search for my name there's a show rule button on my page so you can catch up with a uh, show's passim and um and yeah we we go live on a sunday evening playing sort of easier sort of music that's that's fun but you know we'll, we'll, we'll ease us into the next week that's the plan anyway excellent and out we go with the lovely voice of harriet wheeler Oh, absolutely. One of the great lost voices, uh, Harriet Wheeler and, and uh, David uh, Galvan, I think it's pronounced, um, mm. who were the, 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 the heartbeat of the Sundays, this group just sort of disappears after after Static and Silence, the, the, the uh, last album they did in 97, I think. They just sort of popped off. A bit like Mark Hollis from Talk Talk. Um, There's just, whole websites, they, by the way, dedicated yes, to where so, are these, where are the people from the Sundays now, and, in, and including think, Harriet Wheeler, apparently working in a supermarket. Well, they, they you know, but Harriet and, and David, where are they now? In North London, raising a family, I think, was, was just what they went off to do in the same way that Mark Hollis very much did. Yeah. Well, fair play. But um, we've had uh, various power outages down here, and my my sympathies to anybody that is without power or or you know just having a rough time through through this storm. It's not been great. But um, uh, without power for a couple of hours on Friday morning, I very much went back to the olden days, by which I mean the sort of late 80s, early 90s. In that I um I I did a crossword, paper crossword. I spoke to somebody on my landline that plugs into the wall, and I got some tapes out and listened to my tape Walkman, and I found my tape of reading, writing, and arithmetic by the Sundays and very much enjoyed it I I one of those albums that just rattles along and it's it seems to have been a little bit forgotten about and I'm sorry that it is it, it doesn't often appear in critically acclaimed lists and it's an incredibly strong album I would recommend that you listen to it if you can um lots of songs that I could have picked from this but I was particularly taken by this song I couldn't stop listening to it this is the Sundays and this is Hideous Towns
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs>